Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, the places a dive, and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 379 is recorded live August 30th, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. And while the wireless connection lasts, we have Jim Schultz coming from Alpena. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm good, and I'm not alone. We've got Karen and Ted and Barb. We've got a whole party up there on the northeast side of the state. So you're up there from, what is that, Alpena area? Area right now. So why don't each of you say hello, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Hi. <laughs> Hi there. So uh, what was the, the first one, that was Karen, and then who else was there? And Barb and Karen. Okay. Well, excellent. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. We're going to, uh, we also have people in the chat room. We have Eric and Derek. A couple of the regulars have shown up. and. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. The first article we have up on the docket today is a follow-up. If uh, you saw that uh, article, uh, it's been about a month and a half now when it first started, about the discovery of the Russian ship with supposedly billions of dollars on. Uh, as it's come out, it, dis- it ends up being that they didn't actually discover it and that it may not have billions. And police say today that uh, thousands have invested in the shipwreck discovery linked scam. Seoul police discovered that 2,000 people invested a total of $8 million in alleged cryptocurrency scam linked with the Russian shipwreck discovery. The Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency said 2,600 people made the investment to fund the salvage of the 113-year-old Russian Navy cruiser Dmitry Donsky, according to KBS. The Seoul-based company claimed to have found the Russian naval fleet in the from the Russo-Japanese War in the early 20th century off South Korea East Coast. And let's see if I can slaughter this one properly. Along Island, they released photos and video footage of the shipwreck underwater and claimed the ship holds gold bars and coins worth billions of dollars. It also issued cryptocurrency whose value is linked to the treasure ship and attracted investors to purchase the virtual coins with a promise to return the benefits from the ship, according to police. Seoul police launched an investigation earlier this month to look into this suspicious link between the discovery and the cryptocurrency trade. So what's interesting on that one is it makes you wonder if we're going to see more of these type of things or if people will kind of get wise to it. I doubt this is the first time that somebody has claimed to have found something and then swindled investors for a whole bunch of money. And then we have, uh, this one's from ABC News. They say a missing diver who spent an entire night at sea had the will to survive. After searching the waters off the coast of Florida, rescuers on Thursday found a missing diver they said spent the entire night alone, lost at sea, but said he had the will to survive. Terry Hayes, 57, and Michael Pavlich, 34, were exploring a popular scuba diving site on Wednesday known as the R.J. Thompson Wreck in the Gulf of Mexico, some 30 miles off Hudson, Florida. The two men who are seasoned recreational divers failed to resurface near the 25-foot dive boat that afternoon. 
The dive boat operator alerted authorities, and the U.S. Coast Guard subsequently launched a search effort with help from the Pasco County Sheriff's Office and the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Four hours later, the crew had located Pavlich six miles southeast of the dive site. His partner was nowhere to be found. Search and rescue crews resumed the efforts Thursday morning. They searched the area for of uh, more than 1,700 square miles before Hayes was spotted alive in the water by an offshore vessel belonging to the, fish, uh, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation. He's a fighter. He had the will to survive, Lieutenant George Wells of the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation said during a press conference. I personally think that's what helped him keep him alive throughout the night. By the point Hayes hadn't been treading water for more than 20 hours, he was very exhausted. He's, he was still in full scuba gear and had a buoyancy compensator, a piece of diving equipment, with an inflatable bladder that officials say helped Hayes stay afloat. He had his buoyancy, his dive, he had, goodness, he had his diver buoyancy compensator, which kept him alive. He had a flashlight. He drank water. Uh, Coast Guard Commander Bill Wash told ABC News Tampa affiliate that he also had the will to survive. Uh, no reports of injuries. The report that Hayes is said to be doing okay. Both men are exhausted from the ordeal. What I find interesting on that one is... Where did he have the water? I mean, you certainly, if, if you're out in the Gulf, that's salt water, so you can't drink that water. I typically don't bring water with me when I go out to dive. So that's interesting. In the water. Pardon me? You're saying not while we're in the water, no. Ah, okay. A new dimension to marine restoration, 3D printing coral reefs. Uh, a dive team assembles pieces of a few triggerfish circled, well, as a few trig- triggerfish circled to investigate. After two air tanks, they had loaded all the items together in a final product, an artificial coral reef. Uh, they look like odd chunks of ceramic. The 3D printed reef installed at Summer Island Mall Dives Resort early this month is the first of its kind in 1,200 islands of the Maldives. Each of the artificial reefs' ceramic components was 3D printed with custom design and then fitted with coral fragments that developers hope will grow across the entire structure. 3D printers have become faster, cheaper, and more accurate in the past de- decade, allowing enthusiasts to develop neat trinkets such as toothpaste squeezers and custom pasta makers. Australian alt- entrepreneur Alex Goad had more amphibious ambitions. 3D printing coral reefs, he formed the not-for-profit Reef Design Labs to apply the flexibility of 3D printing to coral restoration research. I started Reef Design Labs to support marine research. That's the main thing we do. I was interested in ceramics and how I could, how it could be used as an ideal material for coral nurseries. So we gave it a go. RDL caused a patented technique for 3D printing coral formation modular artificial reef structure, or MARS. Instead of using steel or concrete, popular substrates for artificial reefs, RDL prints hollow ceramic blocks, which can be molded into complex shapes and fits them with concrete for stability. Divers bring these blocks underwater, fit them together like Lego to form cohesive and resilient structure. 3D printing artificial structures may sound like a gimmick to draw attention, but Goad suggests several benefits of a custom-designed reef mold. Coral begins its life cycling as drifting larvae, and then they... That search for an unexposed place buffeted from predators and water currents. Uh, 3D painting, uh, printing can replicate the intricate structure of existing reefs needed to foster new coral growth. 
Within minutes, the small alcoves and overhangs of the Maldives Mars also begin attracting curious fish. It may sometimes provide shelter to crustaceans, sponges, and enemies to form a marine community. Uh, reef Design Labs actually designed a structure based on the corals that are most like widely growing in the Maldives. Uh, the 3D printed reefs have all these contour shapes that mimic the natural reefs so the corals can easily attach themselves, which we can't do just building regular concrete structures. Goat was not the first to construct the 3D printed reefs. Another Australian James Gardner paired with Sustainable Oceans International SOI to sink blocks of sandstone among sections of damaged reef in the Persian Gulf in 2011, uh, 2012. The advantage provided by Mars is convenient installation rather than using barges to transport beefy chunks of concrete to sea. Divers can slot a customizable set of pieces together by hand to form skeletons in shapes inspired by the native coral community. Uh, RDL supplied its technology to support other marine life as well. In June 2017, they supplied concrete reefs for Australia's largest shellfish restoration, which researchers sank more than 17,000 tons of limestone near York Peninsula and then released tiny oyster larvae to settle in new structures. In April 2016, the lab teamed up with Riot Games to design marine sculptures, included chapter from a popular online video game as appealing hideout for fish communities. The lab is now working with Volvo and Sydney Institute of Marine Science to create oyster habitats on seawalls. Each project design implementation solicits input from marine biologists who monitor the structures to assess which method the prominent, the prominent habitats for coral and other reef organisms. Material and methods of installation for artificial reefs must be carefully chosen, prepared, or the structure may do more harm than good for marine environment. 3D printing also requires specialized equipment and expertise. There's a ceiling to how much custom reef design can be scaled up. Goat acknowledges there are limitations to the practice. People assume that 3D printing is going to be some magic thing that's going to save the coral reefs. Obviously not. This has to be used for small coral nurseries. I was interested in how Mars could help this cause a permanent structure that a complexity would allow other reef species besides coral to have a home. Mars can act as a platform to be targeted research on optimal coral farming methods. Prints can be tailored to specific environments and instance testing, uh, for instance, testing how different techniques of attaching coral fragments affect growth. Such research may help scientists better understand and adjust to the threats faced by coral reefs. And they go on uh, quite a bit. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting idea. The, the question I have is they're, they're making a big deal about how light it is, and I'm wondering how well some of those structures are going to handle storms. Uh, but I do like some of the shapes they've done. You could 3D print ceramic. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, different materials now that are being 3D printed. And it looks like in this, for the particular one that started the article, they were 3D printing ceramic, and then they did something with uh, concrete that to anchor it. So it looks like, I just guessing in the pictures, that some of the bases along the bottom were concrete. And it looked like, I can't tell if they've glued the sections together or they somehow locked together. But I like that kind of geometric shape. It seems like it'd be a nice habitat for fish. And this one's from uh, Edmonton. And they're talking about an underwater ghost town in a lake in Alberta. They said, we all know that Canada is filled with endless hidden gems, but there's one so hidden you literally need scuba diving gear to help explore it. Located 60 feet below the surface of Lake Minnewanka, lake in the eastern area of Banff National Park remains the ruins of an old resort town that only customers are now fish and curious adventurers. 
dubbed as Minnewaka Landing, the summer village had lured travelers across Alberta for multiple years. After the completion of their beach house hotel in 1886, the village saw a rise in visitors and the community began to rise with it. Over the years, the town began to grow quite a bit. It had four avenues, three streets, numerous hotels and restaurants. The landing was making its uh, name for itself until changes to the lake began in 1895. At first, the dam was constructed on Devil's Creek, and then a second dam was added in 1912. With the dams, the lake began to rise, and the town was abandoned after a third one was built in 1941. This caused the lake to rise by 98 feet, completely flooding the town site and the bridge at Devil's Creek. Today, the Minnewanka Landing is now made up of abandoned remains, although it does make for an exciting adventure as long as you get past the water temperatures in that. So 60 feet down, and I didn't get a chance to watch this video, so when I get to a fairly decent internet connection, I'll take a peek, but... That's on, that is on uh, my bucket list. Maybe not specifically this one, but I know there's towns underwater. I'd love to visit at least one of them. And then these next two articles, the last ones for this week, are related. I think they're the same one. And they're talking Lake Erie uh, of a wreck that they think may be the oldest wreck out there in the lake. And it's a wreck of Lake Serpent, a merchant ship that disappeared somewhere in the lake while carrying stone from Lake Erie's islands to Cleveland. If it is the Lake Serpent, it'll be the oldest discovered lake vessel yet, which tells us something about early shipping and shipbuilding period that we don't know. Carrie Soden of National Museum of the Great Lakes has been part of the team that's been diving the wreck this summer. They've made about seven trips to the site so far, but conditions 43 feet under Lake Erie are extremely poor because it may be a nice day in the surface is a tough day underwater. Today the beauty today is beautiful and breezy and that's a problem for us. It's the breeze. We're looking for less than ten knots of wind, hopefully two feet or less of waves. The other big challenge is visibility is terrible. A good day might be four to five feet of visibility. Once we start digging visibility goes to nothing. Dive crews have managed to press on cataloging the site foot by foot using hoses to clear away 150 plus years of silt and zebra mussels which I don't think the zebra mussels were there all 150 years. But they don't know for sure if it's just the lake serpent. Even if it isn't, the ship is still a find that could teach archaeologists and historians more about life in the Great Lakes, where this inland sea of sorts helped build young America. The iron, the steel, the stone, the wheat, you name it. We're settling in the area and we're shipping lots of it east. All that's being shipped, at least in the 1820s and 30s, on small vessels like the lake serpent. Soden says they could prove their findings are things the way the timbers of the ship were put together. She says the size and shape of the vessels can show the time period the ship was built. They're hoping to find the ship's distinctive masthead and carved wooden serpent. Then the, then the other art. Yeah? Is exploring that lake serpent shipwreck is the one that I did my underwater archaeology training with. Oh, you were on this that one? Oh, excellent. To help do the stuff, do the measurements and stuff. So, were they thinking that's what it was when you were down there? That's what they're thinking it is, just from the place where it sank. But um, they're trying to get more details on it, and that's why they've had the underwater um, archaeology class um, invited out. And they said anybody that's available that can come out and dive on it to help them do the measurements and maybe find that masthead uh, is more than welcome to come. They have a bunch of dates that we could sign up for. Oh, nice. Uh, when when you were on it, were they using a dredge to move some of the 
Silt? Not going out on it at all yet. Um, but just the dates weren't working with when I was working. Oh, okay. I've not been able to get out on it, but I've I've had the invite to go out and do some okay um, stuff on it. I don't think they're planning on using a dredge. Okay. And then I'm I'm just scanning through the second article, uh, and it's pretty much the same thing. I'm not seeing anything that's really different; just a little bit different wording. Uh, yeah, they said since late July they've only been able to get one other dive on the site and now can expect to make, make no more than two or three more dives before the end of the summer, which, let's see, when's this article? Uh, I mean, that's the, this weekend. No, that's this our August 29th. So, yeah, for the end of the summer, I guess they're going to the technical definition, the end of the summer. But, uh, yeah, you got to dive when you can, especially when you're searching for something like this. So... If they don't find it out this year, they'll keep diving on it next year. So that does it for scuba in the news. Uh, we've had in, in southwest Michigan, we, it seems to be rainy. We've had a few heavy rains. And then up there in Alpena, it looks like you you guys dodged uh, a series of storms. Uh, what what percent? Yeah, we had quite a bit of rain every night. There was a tornado warning in our area. But it's the storm seems to end up west of us, more over the Gaylord area. Well, that's good because I I saw that they had that tornado warning there for a little bit. So, how many days have you been up there so far? On Saturday, so Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Today is day six from the lake. Four days. We didn't go out Saturday. In the All Sable River. And so we went to the river and did a little snorkeling and. So what wrecks have you been able to get on to? Yeah, I posted them in the uh, chat a little bit earlier. The first one we hit was the WP Rand. One hit was the Oscar T. Flint. And then today we hit the Montana. So how have conditions been on A little flat standing up the Montana and the Flint. Yeah. So have conditions been pretty good? Pretty warm about 25 feet which took it from the to the low 50s visibility with a lot of particulate in the water makes it very green hopefully we'll get another good day tomorrow and get some more diving in and some more video shot excellent and then when, when are you planning on heading back are you gonna stay for the whole weekend i'd like to stay indefinitely but Probably need to get back to work, so we'll probably head back uh, Monday or Tuesday. Nice. Mr. Potts. <laughs> like room. Thing. Go ahead. We'll find room. Oh, you're, you're trying. I'm, you, you broke up, so I take it you're trying to talk people into uh, into coming up, <laughs> putting them on cots, and you said you'd find room. Yeah, we have plenty of floor space. Yeah, I, I wish. I'm. My my wife and daughter and son, or, or my son will stay in town, but my wife and daughter are going out of town this weekend. So I've got horse duty. So I, th- I think they're they're concerned that I might have forgotten how to water and feed a horse, but I think I may be able to manage. But that does uh, re- reduce my you know, any anything any place I go has to be within drive distance of of home each night and morning. So uh, one of these years I'm going to get up there. Yeah, maybe it will be next year. I'll I'll have to to put it on my list. 
And I'd like to thank everybody for listening. If you're enjoying the show, we, we certainly would appreciate your help. You can go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to our Patreon link. Visit that page and, and give whatever you're, you're able to. Uh, $3 or more will get you early access to our show notes, which I've, I've actually been doing pretty good about getting on. Editing the episodes is another matter. Uh, it seems like I've been incredibly busy at work and, uh, just as we are about to get caught up, I've fallen back behind again. So this weekend, that's one of, one of the things on my list is to get some of these, these episodes edited and then get them at least, uh, closer to being released to when we record them. You can follow us on Twitter at scuba obsessed. If you have comments or things you'd like to submit to the show, the show at scuba com, and those will get to us. Jim, do you have anything you want to plug before we end it this week? Oh, support your local dive shops. It's amazing how little business some dive shops get, and then a year or two later, they're gone. Yeah, yeah, you, you gotta you gotta support the shops. And uh, how about up there? I I know that our one of our favorite shops that had been there uh, up towards the Sheboygan area is gone. Um, are do you? Is there a shop? There's two shops here in um, Alpena. Them is an old shop that's been around forever, and he's had to go to on the side to try to keep the shop open so it's half dive shop half computer repair shop up is uh, in a great location right across the street from the cam up here and uh, they've got a very nice looking shop they're doing well excellent so we are getting to that time of the year where if you have not been getting out diving i don't know what you're waiting for uh and if you have been diving, maybe you need to dive some more. We're kind of, this is, this can be some of the best diving of the year because we're getting there with the water's warmed, warmed up. So if you've been waiting because it was too cold, perfect conditions. And then if you want to dive later in the season, as we say, is if you start, if you, if you get regular in diving now, then as the water starts to cool off, you can plan for what upgrades you need to make to your gear to stay warm. And you know it's it's kind of like boiling a, a lobster. You know if you if you do it long enough, by the time you get down to about January, it, it's going to still feel like bath water. So, in, any final words from up north before we close this out? Just get out and get wet. Well, I I kind of picked a few jokes that were. I, I know you guys are not tent camping it, but I I I think the image is better in my mind if I think everybody's roughing it. I won't feel like I've I've missed out so much. We're ready. Okay. So there's a teacher and she's she's talking to her students and she picks on one. She says, Johnny, if I give you two tents and another two tents and another two, how many tents would you have? And Johnny says, Seven. And the teacher says, No, no, listen carefully. If I give you two tents and then another two tents and then another two tents, how many do you have? And Johnny says, Well, seven. And she says, well, wait a minute, let me put this to, to you differently. If I gave you two apples and then another two apples and then another two, how many do you have? Johnny says, well, six. Teacher says, good, good. Now, if I give you two tents and another two tents and another two, how many do you have? Seven. Teacher says, Johnny, where the heck do you come up with seven tents? Because I've already got one freaking tent. I, I guess not. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> do, we, do we need another one? Did that one not, not work? Did. Okay, how about this one? A man walks out of his tent one day and sees a fox in a tree in the front of his campsite. He calls animal control, and about an hour later, a man shows up with a ladder, a pit bull, and a shotgun. 
The animal control employee tells the man, I'm here to get the fox out of your tree. I'm going to use this ladder to climb up the tree and shake the branch the fox is on and knock him to the ground. Now the pit bull is trained to attack anything that falls from the tree. The man says, okay, I, I see what the ladder and the pit bull are for, but what's the shotgun for? And the animal control employee says, oh, that's for you. In case I fall out of the tree instead of the fox, shoot the dog. <laughs> okay, so on that one, go out there and get wet. Safe, and as Ted just said, no animals were harmed in the making of tonight's podcast. 